Well, welcome back. Glad you guys are here. Week three of our series called How to Pray. Very good. Well, I um, have to tell you, I have appreciated some of the feedback that from you guys during the course of this series that you have really loved applying the things that we have been talking about, especially as we've been tackling a 30-day challenge, a 30-day challenge of praying for five minutes a day. Now, some of you, maybe this is your first time here and you're like, you know, that doesn't really sound that hard to just pray for five minutes a day for 30 days. Some of you, though, you've been with me, you've been doing this for the last um, several days, and I don't know about you, but is is that when when I try to put aside just these five minutes that it seems like every little thing right every little thing all of a sudden becomes this massive emergency that needs all of my time and attention right I I don't know how that works I don't know how that's supposed to happen but listen God designed prayer for us God designed prayer for us. That's what we saw in week one. It's not for somebody else. It's not even really for God, right? It's, it's for us. And Jesus, Jesus even said, and we saw this in week one, he said, listen, you need to unplug, right? You need to go find a place and literally shut the door. He knew that everything in the world was gonna come at you in those few moments when you were trying to have a meaningful conversation Wow, that's a pretty smart guy, right? 2,000 years ago, he says this was gonna happen, and here it was, the last few weeks, and I've been like, God, that is exactly what's playing out, exactly. And then last week, we saw that uh, a meaningful conversation with God, it, it, it's, um, it's relational, that prayer is relational, Right, and so we've been defining it that prayer is this meaningful conversation with God. And let's just be honest about this. This probably made sense to most of us when we said that prayer is relational because you don't really have very meaningful conversations with strangers, right? If a stranger comes up to you and starts trying to have one of these meaningful conversations with you, Let's just think about that for a second, right? You're sitting there, person walks up, and they begin to want to pry into your life to have this deep, meaningful conversation. You're like, whoa, time out, buddy. I don't even know who you are. This is kind of awkward, right? And so we understand that this sort of meaningful conversation it's got to happen inside of some sort of relationship. And I think most of us would agree that we, we desire to know that there's something more going on with our prayers than we are just blindly throwing them up into the sky and saying, I hope they reach it to God. I hope that he hears this. Because we, we, we know deep down that it's gonna have to take some sort of relationship. And Jesus said that. He said, listen, it's gonna take relationship. And most of us, most of us, when we hear that, we kind of have this sinking feeling in our heart because we're like, I, I don't know if I have that kind of relationship with God to be able to have this meaningful conversation with him on stuff. Are you saying I'm all bunched up here? Thanks, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I have my, my fashionistas over here. They help me out, all right? I'm, I need them. So, good. I feel better now. I'm a little bit self-conscious about everything. It's, it's, it's all good. Awkward. <laughs> I, well, I, I, I just got there. It's okay. So we have to have this relationship. Relationship, right? And most of us, 
you know, it, when, we, when we come to this idea we have to have a relationship with the Father in order to have prayer with him, to have this meaningful conversation with him, most of us go, I, I don't know if I have that kind of relationship with God. I don't know if I have enough relationship with God to have this meaningful conversation. I, sometimes I feel like I'm kind of a, a stranger in this whole thing, and no wonder I feel like it's awkward, and God probably feels like it's awkward too. And Jesus said, no, no, time out. Last week we saw that Jesus said, I have all the relationship, being Jesus. Jesus said, I have all of the relationship. I have all of the relationship that you need in order to have a meaningful conversation with God. You don't have to rely on your own relationship with God. You have my relationship with God in order to have a conversation with him, right? And so he says, because of me, the Father can be the Father for you. And now listen, we, we talked about this idea of God being our father last week, and this is a huge idea, and this is something really big that stumbles a lot of people who are not Jesus followers yet from becoming a Jesus follower because they're like, listen, I don't even know if I can understand who a father is because of my own experience with what a father was here on earth, and so to talk about him as a, a heavenly father, I, I just don't know if I want any part of that. Listen, if that's you, go back. Last week, we unpacked this idea, and it's such a big thing. And so you can go back and check it out on Facebook or YouTube, and I would encourage you to do that because this is such a huge stumbling block for people who want to come into relationship with God. Now today, today we're going to build on this idea of who God is, but we're also going to kind of shift gears a little bit. Because the next section that we look at sees the first petition from Jesus. In fact, the next six things that Jesus says are petitions. Now, some of you are going, what, a petition? Yeah, Jesus asks something of God. Now, those of you who are not Jesus followers in the room, you're gonna be a lot better off in this conversation than some of those of you that are. If you grew up going to church, this is gonna, you're gonna bring a lot of baggage to this conversation in just a second because you're gonna have a lot of things you're gonna go, wait, but I thought, and we're gonna just look at what Jesus says. All right? Those of you who, you're like, hey, this is my first time ever in church. Good, perfect. You're not gonna bring any baggage to the conversation. You just take what it is that we're about to say and you're gonna have, you're gonna be so far ahead of some other people because there's been a lot of people that have steered them wrong over the years when it comes to this idea of prayer. And so Jesus, if you've ever struggled with, you know what, I wanna pray, but I just don't know what to pray. To pray. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to give you the first what of prayer. That's what we're going to look at today. The first what of prayer. So we're going to jump back in. We've been in Matthew chapter 6. We've been looking at the model prayer. Starts in verse 9, and it says this. It says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, or Abba Nu. We talked about this last week. That's the who of the prayer right? Our Father. In heaven, right? That's the where of prayer. In heaven. Now, some of you, some of you, you read that and you think, you know what? No wonder God doesn't hear me, right? God is so far away. He's the God who's in heaven. He's the Father who's in heaven. And so that's like a big, huge distance between us. And so no wonder God doesn't hear me when I pray. Listen, Sometimes we miss something here, and I want you to catch this because I love this fact that God is not bound to heaven. He's not tied up. He's not locked up up there. In fact, Jesus, he's really trying with this idea because when Jesus says this in the, in the Greek or in the Aramaic text, he actually uses a plural 
a plural dative, which means nothing to you guys, I know. I'm going to tell you kind of what it means. But the is this idea of, it should read heavens. But we think of heaven as a singular thing. And you're like, wait, what? There's more than one heaven? Nope. Actually, there's not. When you put it in the plural and in the dative together, it actually has this sense. And in other places in the Bible, it's translated as like the atmosphere or like the sky or Check this one out. In fact, we have a great worship song that says this. It says, it might be even like the air around us. You ever heard the worship song that says, that God, you are the air that I breathe? That's the idea that it's playing off of, is that's how close that Jesus is saying that God is to us when we're praying, is that we're breathing in. He's the very air that fills us up. It's a pretty big idea. And so then Jesus begins, he moves from the who and the where, and he comes to this first what, and he says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. There it is. There's the first what of the model prayer. It's the, the first petition, the first ask that Jesus gives in this prayer. Now some of you are going, Charles, you're crazy. I read it with you. There is no asking anywhere in that. What, what are you talking about? How in the world could Jesus be asking for something right there? I tell you what, just hang out with me for just a few minutes. I know most of you don't have anywhere else to go, so just hang out with me, all right? Because we're going to tear it apart, and, and we're going we're gonna to see that Jesus is asking something. He's asking God for something. He's making a petition to God. But before we do that, I want to talk about some of the, the words that are in this passage, right? This four words right here, hallowed be your name, because there are some tricky words that are here. Because this, this first word, hallowed, right? Now, I like to read from the English Standard Version. That's what I teach from, all right? It's what I use. And some of you use some different versions. That's fine, all right? I use it because I like that it tries to bring all of um, the, the ancient Greek, right? 2,000 years, that's ancient in my world, right? Anybody here who's 2,000 years old, I'm sorry, you're ancient, all right? I think I might be safe in this room for right now. So, um, but it tries to modernize it a little bit, bring it to some, some what we use as English today, right? And so it does a pretty good job most of the time. But it used this word hallowed, and I was like, what? What does hallowed mean? And so I was like, all right, I'll just check translations. And you know, almost every single translation that I read used the same word, hallowed, hallowed, hallowed. And I was like, oh, great. We have to talk about what the word hallowed means. I don't have like some version that I'll be like, this means it's great. So hallowed, what in the world does hallowed mean? Well, this word shows up only once a, t once a year in our current context. In fact, we just had it show up in our current context, Halloween, Halloween. Now, some of you, that maybe you, you grew up um, Catholic and you, you've heard of this before, um, maybe you didn't and that's okay, but some of you know that Halloween um, is All Hallows Eve, right? Because the next day, November 1st, is considered All Saints Day. And actually, several centuries ago, All Saints Day used to be called Hallowmas. Yeah, I love it, right? I'm like, we should go back to that. Hallowmas. I, I, that, that has like, it's like Christmas only wrapped up with hallow. And you're like, oh, Halloween? Like Christmas? I don't really under, it's okay. You don't, 
Because I want to, I want just to understand what hallowed means. Hallowed comes from a form of the word hagios, right? Hagios means holy, right? Holy, but that's a really big church word. And most of us, we, we understand this idea of God is holy, and we and we get this picture that holy equals perfection, right? But there are all kinds of things in the Bible that were, that were called holy that were built by men. Now, the women are way ahead of us on this one, all right? But guys, we've never done anything perfect. I thought I'd get some more amens out of that from some of you ladies, right? Ah, there it is, there it is. So, but... Listen, so holy, holy doesn't mean perfect, right? Holy means to be set apart, to be different. So when the Bible begins the holy temple, it's talking about that that building, right, the temple is set apart. It's used for a different purpose than other buildings, than other temples that existed. And when it begins to talk about a holy altar, it's talking about an altar that is set apart, that was used for a different purpose their altars. When he talks about a holy people, he's not talking about a perfect people. He's talking about a group of people who have been set apart, who have been made different, who are supposed to be different, who are supposed to live different, right? That are supposed to be about something different. That's what holy means. And so the word hallowed, right, it means to be made holy. Not to be holy, but to be made holy. Right? Or to be made, it's bad English right here, to be made set apart. To be made different. So Jesus is actually requesting that God's name would be made holy. He's not saying, God, your name is holy. It's true, God is holy, but holy is not his name. All right. So Jesus is not saying that, that he's saying, God, what I want, what I'm praying for is that your name would be set apart from every other name. That your name would be different from every other name. And just for a second, let me just lean into this idea of name for a second, because in Hebrew thought, name is a little bit different than what you and I think about. Because for them, name would be the very nature, right? It's the very character and the personality of the person. It encompasses everything about who they are. It, this leaks into our culture a little bit, right? We talk about having a good name, right? A good reputation. That's sort of a synonym on that sort of stuff. And so when Hebrews came to this idea, they would understand that name was so much more than just a name. Now, David, David was Israel's greatest king, right? And he, um, he wrote a, a lot of the Old Testament and a lot of songs in the Old Testament for us. And David was declared by God as someone who loved God. And he wrote in Psalms chapter 9, he says this, he says, those who know your name put their trust in you. Those who know your name put their trust in you. Now, here's what David is not saying. He's not saying those who know the literal name of God. 
right? If you know how to pronounce the name Yahweh and can say it exactly right, that you now have the secret power and that with that secret power, it unlocks everything. And because of that, now you'll have full trust in who God is because you have the power of his personal name. David's not He's saying that anybody who knows the character of God, right? Anybody who knows the nature of God, anybody who knows the very personality of who God is, when you begin to understand that, David says, listen, you're left with nothing but to trust that and to trust God. So here it is, Jesus is praying that God's name that God's character, God's nature would be set up from all others. And he knows full well. He knows full well that God has already set himself that way. Right? If you think back to the moment that Moses was given the Ten Commandments, right? He was given, here are the rules for how it is that you become my people. God says, listen, if you want to be the children of God, here are the 10 things that you have to do. Number one, he says, is that you have to um, have no other gods before me. Number two is that you can't have any carved statues. Number three, he says, you can't use my name as a curse or a word. Then he says, finally, don't forget to set aside a day to worship me. The first four of the Ten Commandments that God gave to his people. He said, listen, you want to be called my people, then you need to understand that I am set apart. I am different from everything else. And here is some of the ways that you do that. God was setting himself apart. And Jesus knew that. And he knew that God that God had and God will continue to always set himself apart. So then why pray this at the very beginning? Is this like sandbagging? You know, like when you're like, hey, you know, I'm gonna um, ask for something in the negotiations that I know they're already willing to give me so we can build some like good rapport here because I know it's already gonna happen, sort of a thing going on. So was Jesus like sandbagging the prayer a little bit? Like, hey, if you guys will all pray this, right? God will hear this part of the prayer because he's already doing this and then maybe he'll answer some of the other parts of your prayer later on because he's already answered the first part of your prayer. Yeah, it's a thought. It's a thought. For just a moment, let's connect the next two petitions, all right? We're, not, we're gonna tear these apart um, next week, um, but let's just peek ahead for a second to see where Jesus is going series of, because all three of these petitions are, are made to God, and the first one that he said was, hallowed be your name. And then he links it, he links it with the second petition, which he says is, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And then he says, here's the third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Jesus says that the only way that God's name is going to become known as, right? The only way for it to be holy is if you and I are the ones who make it that way. So Jesus is telling those that are listening, he says that it's our job 
to make God's name holy. And just to, to kick that in a little bit deeper, Albert Muller said, Dr. Muller said this. He said, the church, the church must therefore remember that the degree to which God's glory is manifested on earth depends on how we conduct ourselves as his redeemed image bearers. Ouch. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that I live my life anywhere near that. And I certainly don't spend a lot of time in my prayer asking God to make his name holy and to make it set apart by the actions of my life. I'm much more like the idea of, right? God, you, you do you, I'll do me, right? And Jesus, Jesus went and he just said, no, no, I'm gonna tie all of this together. God's name is holy by his kingdom coming and by his will being done. What? You mean I have to acknowledge God as king and I have to give up what it is that I want. The being in charge in order for his name to be holy So Jesus says, Here's a, here it is, the first what, the first what of prayer is that God should be set apart by the way that we live our lives. That God should be set apart by the way that we live our lives. Now there's a, another word for this. It's called worship. It's called worship. And really, worship is always the appropriate response to God when we come into contact with him. And Jesus said, listen, all of the floodgates have been opened, right? You have the ability to have relationship with God and to come close to him. And then your response should be right after that. Your petition should be one of worship. You know, I've defined worship for years this way, and I worked with kids, so I, you know, worked really hard to try to help them to understand what worship is. And I said, worship is this. It's how I tell God that I love him. Worship, tell God that I love him. And a lot of times, we typically think of worship just as the singing, right? We go, yeah, yeah, we, we did the worship songs and, and that was good. And, you know, I mean, maybe it was too loud or, or maybe it was not the songs that I like. There weren't enough hymns this week or, you know, what, whatever it is that we think about it. And we think that that's the worship. And, and God says, no, no, no. I mean, that, that's a good way to worship, right? I mean, it is elevating God. And it puts him central in it. And certainly the things that we, we express, I mean, it places the very work that Jesus did on the cross as, as front and center. And it says, God, you are creator of all things. But it's not the only way that we worship. It's just a way that we worship. And certainly worship is designed to remind me that I am not the center of my own universe. I am not the king of my own kingdom. I want to be.
But worship is not just singing. Now, some of you out there, you just went, yes, I don't have to sing anymore. <laughs> Listen, that's not what I'm saying, all right? But what I am saying is worship is so much more, so much more than just singing. You know, Jesus had this encounter with a woman at the well. You can find it in John chapter 4. I'm just going to tell you the story. But this woman had had several failed marriages, right? And she's sitting there, and Jesus comes up to her, and they begin to have a conversation. And in the midst of the conversation, Jesus begins to reveal to her the story of her past without her ever having shared anything. And she recognizes and understands who it is that she's talking to at least to some degree because she responds to him and says, Sir, she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. And she says, Our fathers, because she was a, a Samaritan woman, so she wasn't a Jew. She's really, um, a, a terrible way to describe it is she was a half-breed uh, on everything. She was part Jew, but she was part Gentile. She no, wasn't accepted in either realm on everything. And so here she was. She was like, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you, that being Jesus, say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me that the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And she says to her, he says to her, you worship what you don't know. He says, we, that being the Jews and Jesus' followers, says that they worship what we know. And he says, for salvation is from, or it begins with the Jews. But the hour is coming, and I tell you is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And then here, I love this part. If you're there, if you turn to John chapter 4 to find it, or if you go find it later, underline this. Because it says, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You see, that woman was obviously confused about worship. Right? She thought you had to go somewhere specific in order to worship. Namely, Jerusalem. Jesus corrects her thoughts about worship for a second. And he says, listen, you can encounter God anywhere, which really, at the end of the day, is the purpose of worship, right? Worship is designed for us to encounter the very presence of God. And Jesus says to her, he says, listen, he says, the hour is coming. He says, actually, really, the hour is standing right here in front of you right now. And then I love how he ends the conversation because he says the Father is seeking people to worship him. Because worship is not about a place. Worship is all about a presence. You know, each week, our worship team has one goal. One goal. It's to lead people to the throne of God so they can encounter him. That's it. When we evaluate things on the backside, it's not about how loud or how quiet the music is. It's not about if we sang enough hymns. It's not about any of those sorts of things. Our question is, did we lead people to the throne of God to encounter him in the worship service? That's it. It's all that we care about. Some weeks, we come out and we're like, yeah, we did it. There are some weeks, just being honest with you, we go, 
mm, we missed it. We did not help people get to the throne of God. We had a whole bunch of other distractions. We had a whole bunch of ourselves in there, and we got to mix that out. Because our goal is always the same. Our goal is that we want God's name to be holy. We want to make God's name holy. And we want to lead you in worship and encountering God. So Jesus' first petition, right? May your name, O God, be made holy. Would it be set apart? He's asking that you and I would come into contact, that we would encounter the very presence of God. And it would so dramatically change us that we couldn't go back the way that we came. One final story coming up on the Christmas season. One of my favorite stories is about the Magi who come. They come from afar and they travel to come see Jesus. And when they see him, when they come face to face with this little baby, they fall down and worship him kind of an appropriate response. In fact, if you were to go do a study through all of the Old Testament and the New Testament, any time that somebody comes face to face with God, when they encounter his presence, the only response that they're left with is to worship. And so these wise men, they, they, they worship. And then, then after they're done worshiping the baby and they've given their gifts and they're about to leave, they receive a word from God through a dream. It tells them that Herod is upset and is coming after the, the baby, and so they leave a different way and go home a whole different way. And I heard a preacher years ago, and he said, this is what happens when you encounter God, when you had this moment of worship. They say, you can't leave and go back to the same place. You can't go back way. They said, you leave, you're entirely different. And our goal every single week is, is that when you come here, that you encounter the very presence of God and that you leave different than when you came. So if you came in these doors over here, would you please leave out doors over there? I'm just kidding. But Jesus says that, that this is what happens when we begin to pray that God's name would be holy. See, Jesus did not start with praying for our comfort. He did not start with um, praying for our desires. Now, God is still gracious, and he hears those things, and he answers those things. But Jesus said that we should start with worship. We should start with worship. Start by praying for God to make his name hallowed. You know, the only way, the only way that we could possibly say that God is the thing that helps us the most is to tell back to God who he is to us. Okay, intimate moment for a moment. I think my wife walked out of the room, so she won't mind me telling this now. One of my wife's favorite things, so she peeked back around the corner, I'm still going to say it though. One of my wife's favorite things is, is when I tell her the different things about her that I love, whether it's a physical trait, a physical characteristic about her, but naming it and then telling her that I love her because of that. I get all kinds of ooey-gooey points on that when I do that. Guys, you're going to try something that your wives will love. 
go home. You can tell her that you love her ear and tell her something about her ear that you love and she'll be like, oh, he loves me. It's true. In fact, in the Old Testament, we have all of these different names of God, over a hundred of them. And every time, what they are is they're an exclamation of who God is to that person. If God was healer, they call it out. God, you were, you were my healer in that moment. If God brought deliverance, then they call it out. And they say, God, you are my deliverer. And they use all of these names of God. And sometimes we think, well, if I'll use those names of God, God says, no. Don't use what somebody else has. Tell me who I am to you. And that's worship. That's special. Because my kids, I have nicknames for my kids, right? Their mom and I, we call them Fox and Monkey, right? Munchkin, I mean, we have a couple different ones. And if somebody else were to walk up to them and go, hey, Fox, come and go with me, they'd look at me and be like, why are you calling me Fox? But if their mommy yells out across the, the whole yard over here, Fox, that little girl's face lights up something so big because it's special and it's meaningful and it's filled with all kinds of love that's there and adoration. God says, who am I to you? Hallowed be your name. How do I make his name holy? How do I make it set apart? How do I live my life in such a way? Jesus says, listen, I've opened the door to the Father, but now who is he to you? And I love it. The Father is seeking out people who will worship him. So here's the challenge. We've been praying for 30 days. Here's the challenge piece to add in. Would you pray with me this week? God, make your name holy. Make it hallowed in my own life. Make it hallowed in my own home. Make your name hallowed on my own street. And God, would you use me to help make your name hallowed here in Australia? Let's pray. Father, you are so good. And you have done so much for us. And we desire for your name to be holy. God, it starts with me. I want to live in such a way that your name would be set apart in my life. We'll live in such a way that your name would be set apart in my family. God, I want to see your name be hallowed here in Australia, in Phoenix, Arizona. God, make your name holy. In your name we pray.